0: there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Jason Davis of Sirius XMFC and The Best Soccer Show. We've had some great guests lately, including Crystal Dunn, Wright Thompson, and Ivan Gazidis. I also encourage you to check out my podcast series, American Prodigy, The Freddie Adu Story, all eight episodes are out, and you can binge all of them to your heart's content. Now, here's my interview with Jason Davis. Our guest now is one of the leading voices on American soccer, and literally too, He has a wonderful radio voice. Jason Davis hosts a daily weekday radio show on Sirius XMFC, as well as The Best Soccer Show with Jared Dubois. He's also the proud parent of a one-month-old boy, Tiago, with his wife, Kayla. Congratulations on that, Jason, and thanks for coming on the show.
1: Well, thank you very much. I do appreciate it. I think most of... Uh, leading voice, that's thats a lot to to take on. But the the, the voice <laughs> itself, serious? I think that's why I'm here. I think it's just like sound reasonably good on a microphone. That, that must be it.
0: I, I think there's more to it than that, but I do admire voices. And <laughs> You know, back in my days when I was just a pure writer and not doing podcasts or TV, I, I didn't think about voice all that much. And now I'm sort of obsessed by it in a small way just because... The voice that I use in a scripted podcast series, like my Freddie Adu series, is is one Mm. type of voice. The voice I used to do for video essays on on Fox Sports was more of like announcer voice, as I would call it, Um, (laughs) and. I I also don't have a a sort of natural voice for radio, and I, I, I understand that. I feel like you do, but is that natural or not?
1: Yeah, I think most of it is natural. I I, I do think there are times when I ramp it up when I do announcery voice. I have some fun with it occasionally, <laughs> but I think most of it's natural. Um, I don't, I, know I don't if it's mean a to accuse blessing that, or not.
0: I, that came off as
1: accusatory. No no, I'm no, sorry. I, <laughs> no, no, but 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 I do talk about this. I mean, I know we're not gonna let's we we could talk about the craft of radio. I don't want to make it too pretentious, but we could talk about that a little bit. You know, people ask me, because I do my show by myself, so I'm not really bouncing off of other people. It's not it's not a conversation as much as some other shows might be or podcasts might be and so there is a there is a dance to it I, again sounds very pretentious to say it but there I've got to I can't just talk I have to throw in right. some extra stuff or Layer on some announcery voice or some accent or inflection just to get, you know, when I read a quote from somebody, it might sound slightly different. If you've ever listened to Dan Carlin, um, Hardcore History, he does that thing where when he reads a quote, his voice goes up an octave, and you're like, Oh, that's a quote, that's not his natural yep. voice. I think I do stuff like that for sure.
0: I just think it's interesting, and I'm sort of fascinated <laughs> by it. Um, you've become a parent, uh, maybe since the last time we, we this is taught. the second
1: one. Second oh, one. since okay. the last time. Yes, yes, yes.
0: I Well, so th-
1: my story, just very briefly, I have a 12-year-old yeah. son um, mm-hmm. from, from a previous marriage. Uh, so having a 12-year-old and having a one-month-old is a very interesting experience. Um, I'm also sort of recognizing that I'm a lot older than the last time. So <laughs> I've leaned into that a little bit. And and on The Best Soccer Show, we have some fun with it. I, I, I came up with this idea of Old Dad FC, and I'm the president of Old Dad FC. And you know, we, we came up with a, you know, everybody's got a hashtag, like you got to, have to hashtag your support for the club. I think we're, we're either going with take out the trash or because I said so. Well, I think those are the two front runners at the moment. Hashtag because I said so sounds good to me. That sounds, that sounds like something I say a lot. So I'm with that.
0: So how does having a one month old change how you go about doing your job?
1: Uh, well, I'm a little less um, rich of sleep these days. Um, but beyond that, I don't, I don't think it's really changed a lot. I mean, I, before we came on, w- before we started, I mentioned that, you know, the pandemic has hit everybody and it's hit me a little bit. And that means I have a little bit more free time than I would like during the week. But that means, I mean, for professionally, but that means personally I get to spend more time with my son. So yes, I have to be a little more conscious of the budget, but I can also spend time with him. At this group and help my wife out and not help her out, do my job as a parent, right? It's not necessarily a one person thing, so she needs to take a break. I have him uh, if she you know she can help out or she can take him when I'm doing my show. She's not working at the moment for for uh, twelve weeks after the baby's birth, so it's it's kind of working out, i guess I, I I think eventually all the lack of sleep will catch up with me, but I'm okay right now,
0: good, good to hear. Um, Now, I've had you as a guest on my previous podcast where we got into your story in the soccer media business, which is a very good story. People should check it out. Um, But I don't want to overlap too much with this podcast interview. So I wanted to ask you just sort of how you go about doing a radio show on American soccer and what goes into your process? And are there particular topics that you have found resonate the most with listeners? Uh, the first part in in terms of the process, um, I think
1: I think just because I'm a natural news junkie and I'm addicted to social media, um, it, that's a good thing for my job. and sometimes the bad thing for my professional life. But it means that I'm kind of consciously, uh, constantly rather, uh, conscious of whatever is happening, sort of zeitgeisty and, and discussions and those kind of things. And I'll see stuff. And I kind of just sort of collect stories throughout the day between shows. And I certainly get up in the morning before my noon show and look through. I still use a newsreader. I'm one of those people still has a newsreader that collects a lot of things. I I go to Reddit. Uh, don't let that go to their heads. But I go to the MLS Reddit and I look for stuff. They're good at finding things. I'll, obviously, Twitter is a great resource. I've you know, I follow journalists from around the world. I follow players. I follow coaches. I follow these people and I can favorite a tweet. If you see me favoriting your tweet, it probably means I'm going to talk about that on my radio show because that's sort of my bookmark. And I'll come back to it. I go, oh, that's interesting. And I'm, you know, I I, I always make sure, I think this is something for me that's been important, is I always make sure I'm crediting the people who maybe originated an idea that I want to riff on. I'm filling three hours of radio a day. So I can't you know, not everything is going to be just a spark of inspiration. It's going to have to be, oh, Sam school brought up this great point about how Tam works. Okay, let's talk about that. I mean, I'm also going to try to make it as entertaining as possible in 15 minutes uh, rather right. than sort of an in-depth piece, very interesting to read, but an in-depth piece from Sam school. But I'll take that stuff and maybe boil it down. So that's that's really the the process. I mean, my producers help a little bit, but I think they recognize that I talk about whatever I'm knowledgeable about. So instead of throwing a bunch of things in and saying, oh, in this segment, we'll talk about these games, they kind of let me roll out whatever I want to hit on. As for topics, um, you know, look, I mean, everybody knows in this business, in this country, that the national team, uh, both of them now r- rule right. the day. So it, you're, you're going to focus on the U.S. men and the U.S. women for the most part. Um, I obviously look transfer rumors and, and young talent coming up. All of those things are interesting to me and to the audience. They want to talk about Weston McKinney. They want to talk about Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams and and all of these guys. And then I think that partly for me, I don't know about the word resonate is interesting because I I could presume, and we're not like consciously polling the audience or anything, you know, I'm kind of going on gut I'm going on reaction from social media, I, I could presume that people want to talk about the most na- or, or want to hear the most national story possible, mm-hmm. or I should be as broad as possible to try to scoop up the most audience. But I actually don't think that that's the right way to go about it. Or I, I will pick those stories, but also sprinkle in, you know, a story about the USL or how an academy works somewhere or especially lower division stuff. I feel like our show has become a home for people to, to to get some love for lower division soccer in the United States. There's some great podcasts out there. There are guys covering those those divisions for no money, you know, as bloggers, as, as citizen journalists, and that's great. But I, I hope that we give like a little bit of a national platform to stories that otherwise wouldn't be covered as much. And, and there are some that are kind of out there. Everybody knows Detroit City. Everybody knows Chattanooga FC. But every now and then there's a story that's not going to get a lot of love that, hey, if we can do 15 minutes – on that I I I'm I'm good with that. I may not watch every USL League 1 game, but I will happily talk about USL League 1 or bring somebody on who knows that subject, right? That's the other thing about doing a radio show, we can always book a guest who knows more than I do and I can prompt them to give out the information.
0: I mean, it is interesting because you, even the American soccer landscape that you focus on is fragmented, obviously, mm-hmm. the soccer listenership soccer fans in the U S it's a really fragmented audience because you know, there's interest in so many different leagues in the U S and out of the U S the teams are, you know, they're here, they're around the world. It's hard for me to know as a podcast host sometimes, if you're better off focusing on just one fragment, like the English premier league or the U S national teams, or if you're better off casting a wide net, like, I try to have as wide a variety of guests on this podcast as I can because that reflects my interests. I kind of want That's to be the- That's what f- I think matters. You know, I mean, like, I want to be like the fresh air of soccer podcasts, even though fresh air is an amazing <laughs> show. Like, it's we're not there yet, obviously, but but does that limit overall listenership, in your opinion, or even, I've wondered, like sponsorship sales if sure. you're not focusing on one particular thing?
1: That 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 second part is interesting. Um, you know, I'm not directly involved in that stuff, although in in our particular corner of the radio business, if I wanted to go and try to recruit a sponsor, I could do that. Or I could br- if I can bring the right person to the salespeople at Sirius, then that benefits me and benefits the show, obviously. But I'm not I know I'm not really good at that stuff. And I know there are certain barriers to 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 even getting your ads. I don't want to get into that. That's, that's sort of nuts and bolts behind the scenes right. stuff. But in terms of, of what we cover, whether it's my show or, or any show on that channel for that matter, I, I think you need to cover what the hosts care about. And that should be the first, the driving factor. Now for for people who kn- who don't know, I, I sort of started, I did the best soccer show a long, long time ago. That started a long time ago. But the thing that got me to this point was soccer morning which was after i lost my regular desk job at a, a, a property management firm uh, we started a, a daily internet radio show that's what it was and and you know we crowdfunded funded and we got some sponsors but that was a that was a catch all show we covered everything i i didn't just talk about american soccer it was the world, and it was great because I got to talk to people. I, you were on that show a lot of times. I, I talked to J- Jonathan Johnson. I talked to I, I don't know if Stein got on my show, but I, I mean, those kinds of writers was great. And I found myself sort of expanding my own horizons because I had been very focused on on American soccer before that. Then the radio show comes along and they say, hey, we want you to focus on American soccer. And I went, oh, okay. And I sort of retreated. Now, look, I I, I still watch the Champions League. I watch the Premier League on the weekend. But I'm not maybe as intimately connected to those leagues as I used to Mm be. Not that I don't care, but they aren't my passion. My passion has always been American soccer in whatever form, whether it's the club game here, whether it's Americans going and playing other places, whether it's uh, the national teams, obviously, are a focal point. It's... And I think that I could focus only on the national team or I could focus only on MLS. There's plenty of that. But, you know, I want to make sure that uh, sort of we are giving out a a wider picture. And I do care about all of those things. Again, I think it's impossible to watch all the soccer. But it doesn't mean I don't care about the fortunes of the second or third division or college soccer for that matter. You know, those kind of things.
0: I want to tell you a funny story. I recently put in a request to have Stephen A. Smith as a guest on this podcast because I didn't want to put him on the spot with his soccer knowledge or anything. (laughs) I just wanted to get his sense of what he thinks about soccer as a sport when and if he ever thinks about it. <laughs> and unfortunately, I got negged, But I, I do wonder, how many years do you think it will take for soccer to become mm. a topic on any general sports debate show on TV on a regular basis?
1: I'll be honest. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Now, wow. there's a spe- there's a specific reason for that, because I don't think our progress is linear the way that we want to believe it to be that that, you know, if you had if you had stopped media development in, say, 1995 and nothing changed about the way that de- that that we delivered information, television, radio an Internet page here or there, something like that, then, yes, maybe we get to that point. I mean, I don't know exactly what the focus would be. Clearly, every four years, those kind of outlets focus on the World Cup. They'll talk about the the men's national team largely to like, oh, America sucks at soccer. Let's stop talking about this for another four years. Right. (laughs) Um, The women are going to the women are going to make a dent. They're obviously they matter in a pop culture sense in addition to what they do on the field. So I think that's sort of an exception to that rule. But I also, but I think that the way that we, the way that that we have fractured, not just the soccer audience, but all sports audiences, all interests. I mean, the glory of of the podcast world is that you can find a podcast on anything you want, your specific interest. You know, I'm a I'm a left handed disc golfer. There's a podcast there out there for you, just about left handed disc golfers. Right? That means that those national shows, they don't have to adapt. They can stay where they were because everybody knows what they are. And anybody who wants something different is going to go find it somewhere else. They're not going to demand it from sports center, from PTI or from, from whatever shows, uh, whatever Skip Bayless is doing these days. They don't, they, they don't have to respond to that. They can just do NFL, NBA and they'll be fine. So I, I tend to think we'll never, we're never going to get there. It doesn't mean that the people on those shows won't care a little bit as sort of the, the current generation ages out and a new generation comes on and you you know, we know the younger, the sports fan in this country, the more likely they are to like soccer, it'll work its way in that way. But I don't think we're going to get like, you know, the top, the topic of the day is, is, I don't know, the champions league or, or, or MLS cup. It's not going to happen.
0: I think you might be right, but part of me still hopes that there will be one outlier show where it's their thing and they just sort of unobtrusively just talk about soccer as they would another sport and don't make a bones about it. They don't announce it. They just do it. I'm hoping that happens at some point, but I'm not counting on it. Well, OK, you, you look, maybe it will. Maybe it will. Maybe I'm just
1: being overly negative. I tend to be very positive about the future of soccer. But this, in this one area, I kind of I, I just it, it logically I'm trying to figure out how we get there, because if it hasn't happened already. Right. We're at a point now where there's soccer on our televisions every single day of the week. If you want to find it, streaming services are picking up soccer left and right. Um, There's so many things. But as you said, the audience is fractured. So it doesn't give a focal point for the decision makers at the top to say, oh, what should we talk about with soccer? Soccer is so broad. Soccer is so complex. Soccer is so difficult to sort of pin down. Yeah, you can talk about a Champions League final, but that comes up once a year. What else are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about the Premier League race? Really? People are going to get into how good of a season West Ham is having? Like, I don't don't know that that's going to ever... Why would that ever... And then, of course, MLS is uh, up against it because it's not the biggest league in the world. And it probably ever will be. Or if it does reach that level, it's so far in the future it's hard to conceive of. So the 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 national voices are going to poo poo the domestic league because it's not as good as the european leagues but they're also not going to focus on the european leagues because the european leagues are complex and don't have enough americanness to them i i that's kind of again circular back to where i was
0: yeah i i i think you make a good point um my other concern and now everybody's that-
1: sad and they want to turn off their podcast
0: <laughs> <laughs> sorry everyone my other concern is that so many English-language soccer broadcasters in the U.S. are now being asked to do non-soccer work, and some of those folks may want to be doing that, but you've got Taylor Twellman co-hosting a daily sports variety show that does a little bit of soccer, but not a lot. You know, you've got Rob Stone doing a bunch of sports for Fox. You know, Even John Strong at Fox was being asked to call some American football games last year. And then Mm -hmm. you've got some really good people who cover soccer full time as writers in the media being laid off. I think that's more a sign of the media landscape in general right now than anything about soccer. But we keep being told that soccer is growing in America. And I don't necessarily see the soccer media side following suit. Am I wrong here? No, you're not wrong. I mean, I that's why
1: I'm I'm thankful that I have the job I have. And even in a pandemic where maybe I'm not working quite as much as I would like, I'm still again thankful for that opportunity and I, I and I, at least for the time being I don't see that ending because the the landscape is changing and because things are being consolidated and because things are changed corporations are buying up legacy names. Uh the grant and changing the way that these things operate. And yeah, I mean I don't want to get into a a wider discussion about venture capitalists and vultures and all. Of, I don't want to do that, <laughs> but it's part of it, right? It's part of the story yeah. and, and everybody's trying to maximize their labor and everybody's trying to, and, and, you know, it does leave room for something like the athletic to pop up. Right. And it does leave right. room for, um, you know, for the, for podcasts to help fill that void. But instead of one place everybody goes to, it's now again it's so it's so disparate it's so it's so varied that I think this is a thing as as somebody who does radio and knows I'm going to be able to get some people to pay attention to me simply because I'm on the soccer channel on Sirius XM even though we're behind a paywall I still feel blessed for that trying to do a podcast and trying to break through and trying to get people to pay attention to what you're doing that's really really hard because what where are you going to go to get your message out and I can go on 30 other soccer podcasts and speak to the same little audience that's already in the soccer podcast world but how do you become bigger than that and i don't i, I don't know and and yeah the the jobs are going and it's it's ex- extremely distressing and and when you're when you work in the business and, and it's such a small world in american soccer specifically and then a friend loses a job it's like uh, what are we doing here right what are we doing
0: well, now that we've thoroughly bummed out everyone, uh, <laughs> let us let me ask you, what are you most excited about in terms of the biggest soccer stories in the year ahead on the American mm-hmm. men's and women's sides?
1: Man, I want to don't want to fast forward through all the stuff we have between now and September, but I really want to see what happens in September. I really mm-hmm. want to see what this team looks like, the U.S. men's national team. Obviously, we, look, the U.S. women are going to go to the Olympics. I'm very hopeful they're going to win a gold medal. Uh, they're going to be the favorites. We're just going to be picking little things here or there. I was just doing it after the She Believes win over Brazil. It's like they won 2-0 and we're still like, ah, oh, but they could be better here. <laughs> they're going to be fine. The U.S. men are such an enigma. Burhalter hasn't had this, and I keep calling it Voltron because that's the generation I grew up in. He hasn't had Voltron together yet, right? He he hasn't had Polisic and McKinney and Adams and now Gio Reyna, although you're learn- we're all learning as American soccer fans. We knew this intellectually, but we're going through the emo- emotional roller coaster of realizing that 18-year-olds aren't always consistent with their play, and sometimes <laughs> right. they're going to get benched, and it's painful, but he still hasn't had a chance to put all this together. We haven't seen John Brooks with that distribution ability out of the back play in burhalter's system in a game that matters, in, in an intense environment. And, and because, of the, the, because we missed out on the World Cup in 2018, it's been so long since we had a game that felt... Really, really important. I know the gold Cup happened, but, you know, I barely remember that Gold Cup at this point with the year we just had. So it's that's what I want to see this is where this team is come September when and 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 again, sort of wrapping your head around all of the impact of the pandemic and what this means. Not only is it eight teams in the round, they're playing most of those windows are three games in something like like five days, six days.
0: it's it's so it's so bang, bang, bang. It's going to be really intense. Let's take a quick break from our interview with Jason Davis. And I'll ask you a question. Do you ever want to watch Spain's La Liga, France's Ligue 1, or Copa Libertadores and get frustrated because they're not available on your cable or satellite system? You should try a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatis with a Z. And you can watch all the action from La Liga, Ligue 1, Copa Libertadores, and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device whether it's a mobile phone a tablet or directly on your tv with the fanatis app you can also watch the top leagues from turkey brazil and argentina fanatis features channels you know like be in sports in english and spanish Goal tv and many more and it costs as little as 7.99 a month If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description or by going to fntz.co slash grant-fz. One more time, that's fntz.co slash grant-fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. Just to picture it, so you've got starting in September for World Cup qualifying, five windows, 14 total games between September and March of 22. So in a not very long stretch, just an exhausting number of games. And I've tried to think about what that's going to be like to have three games in most of those windows instead of two. So you're talking about what, Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday as the likely game Something days? like that. Um, and you're playing those at least, you know, like one in the... If you're playing in a, th- a three window or a three games in one window, one of those is going to be at home or two of those are going to be at home and then you're going to go on the road and Concacaf. calf. That's going to be crazy. Like, how are they going to be able to do it's this? Gonna be,
1: it's going to be crazy. It's going to change... The way these games play out, Um, you know, I I worried that when they talked about expanding the World Cup and they're going to do it, obviously, in 2026 when it when the tournament comes here, uh, that we weren't going to get, you know, that this was the last time this round of World Cup qualifying was the last time we got really important matches against Mexico home and away and qualifying and it's still true but it's like do I really want it like this like is this the way that, it, that that I want it to go down where it's going to be such a it's going to be so fast all of this that it's it's going to be hard to sort of process it now that you know for people who who, who don't like the international game as a general rule maybe this will feel more like a club situation <laughs> they'll they'll be able to follow along easier but it's it's going to be it's going to be crazy and I and I think it's going to be hard for us to sort of um understand again intellectually versus emotionally what to expect from this Should, are we going to look for I mean this is a, the most talented group of young players the United States has ever had there's no question of that they're not going to go out and blow everybody out for nothing it's not going to happen they're, they're going to have to grind out some results they're still going to go to Costa Rica and and play against a team that's going to make it really hard for them they're still going to you know obviously the Azteca is a mountain to climb we all know that but there's still going to be matches in this in this qualifying process that are extremely ugly. And I'm curious how the fan base is going to respond, especially after the disappointment of 2018.
0: I did check the schedule recently. The game at Costa Rica is the very last of the 14 games. So one would hope that there wouldn't be anything writing on that game, which Mm I I know, I know. But that is the worst place the U.S. – Ever plays that? The, the, actually, the US performs better in Azteca than they do at Costa Rica. So I am yeah. hoping that that game does not have anything writing on it. Well,
1: and I also think it's one thing that's sort of interesting from a more meta media perspective is, is how the fan base has changed um, over the last 10 years. Certainly, I was thinking about the 2010, I had a reason to think about the 2010 World Cup. Just the other day, I was writing a story or something, and I was like, oh, Jermaine Jones. Oh, that was 2014. I was thinking about 2014, but also t- 2010. And I was just thinking about, wow, that seems like a million years ago. It's It kind of is for some people, but it's <laughs> it's really not. It's it's a decade, right? And yet here we are kind of like I realize that the fan base has changed. I realize, I realize the United States lost a lot of fans after failing to qualify for Russia. I don't know if they'll bring those people back if there's if it's just going to be a new generation who sort of doesn't understand the history of this team again how do you peg expectations when three quarters of the starting lineup is playing in champions league clubs something that we've never seen before uh, what what kind of soccer can Burhalter get away with and what i mean by that is how expansive and progressive can he be When the goal is to qualify, no matter how you do it, those are big things right now.
0: I also think you're right in saying the most likely scenario is there are tougher than expected situations, especially on the road in in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Have you held out the possibility, Jason, that the U.S. just kills everybody, that this U.S. team actually is as good potentially with all of this talent? That's possible, but it's sort of, you know, if you've ever been
1: a fan, okay, so I'm going to use your, your own personal uh, connections here, Grant. If you've been a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs your entire life, and the last time they won a Super Bowl was before you were born, you may never expect them to win a Super Bowl, right? True. But then eventually they do it. They, they draft Patrick Mahomes and everything is glory and it's great. I suppose that the United States could go out and dominate CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, or just be so comfortable that a, that a top two or three spot is sort of guaranteed three quarters of the way. I just I can't get myself <laughs> to that yet, yeah, because there are so many variables and unknowns. And and beyond even Burhalter and my trust in him, or beyond what I think about this group of players and and how much experience matters in CONCACAF qualifying, I mean, you'll hear the old guys talk about it. Like just because you're playing Champions League level soccer doesn't end and especially by the way, in a pandemic. Right. Without fans in the building So a lot of these players are breaking through in their clubs When the pressure is different I'm not saying there isn't right. any But it's a different kind of pressure So when they go down to Honduras And if there are fans at some point And there will be, and we expect In CONCACAF World Cup qualifying And they're throwing batteries at you How are you going to respond? I, Those things are so unclear That to get to a place where I'm like Ah, we're good Because <laughs> I, I thought we were going to qualify for Russia, right. Grant I did, I thought right, we were right, going right. to get there <laughs>
0: Just asking. Um, One thing I want to ask you about is we've seen U.S. players break through in Europe over the last couple of decades to a new level recently in Champions League clubs, but we haven't seen many U.S. coaches break through in Europe. You know, there were moments when Bob Bradley coached a Premier League team for a short time with Swansea. Now we're seeing American coaches start to break through uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo at Stuttgart just extended his contract there after getting them promoted last season. We had him on the podcast a little while ago. Um, Jersey guy Jesse Marsh obviously has mm-hmm. coached in Champions League now on, on you know, for two seasons with Salzburg, and his name gets brought up as the next guy for a Bundesliga team hire. It's not going to be Dortmund, mm-hmm. but you know maybe it'll be Gladbach. Maybe it'll be Leipzig when Nagelsmann leaves. He's clearly on the rise and seems to have made some smart decisions career-wise in recent years. What's your sense of all that? Well, I think, look,
1: I mean, I think Bob Bradley had to happen. Um, unfortunately, it was a bad situation for him. And, you know, going to a club like Swansea when they're in the Premier League, is always going to be dicey. And I feel bad because I think Bob's a better coach than um, than his record there at Swansea would indicate. It. And I think it's unfair that he got saddled with their their failure there or that Americans now suffer as in reputation because of what happened with Bob Bradley at Swansea. And we know, like, I I, I love a lot of, of, of English football people, I do, but they tend to be pretty myopic about things like this. And they cert- there's certainly some elements of the English media who want to look for the negative whenever it comes to an American in the sport. Sometimes it's about players. It's it's a lot easier for them to come down on coaching. Uh, you know, Americans can't coach. They don't understand the game. Um Obviously, Jesse Marsh, the brilliance of Jesse Marsh is and, you know, who knows how much credit you give him for just taking a job in New York Red Bulls when he needed a job. But he used the pathway that was open to him. He used Red Bull Global System to get himself to Europe. I mean, You know, you could argue not everybody's going to willingly go from head coach of an MLS team, especially in a market like like New York, and become an assistant coach in Germany because you need to do that to get your entry into Europe. I I don't know if it's something that can be replicated. And that's kind of what I'm curious about. Or if Jesse Marsh, if he does get the big job and that's even Gladbach's a big job. By the by, certainly by American soccer standards, but but most uh, most people would view that as a as a big step forward. If that's something, that then leads to a wave of of American coaches getting an, a similar chance, or if it's always going to have to be, well, I've got to go from MLS head coach to assistant somewhere in Europe in order to get my opportunity. And again, if there's no Red Bull Global System you're operating in, there won't be a Salzburg available for a lot of people. It kind of did all work out and open up for Jesse Marsh at the right time. I I can't speak to how Europeans view Americans when it comes to coaching, but I def I, I definitely get the sense that there's still, you know, a a fairly strong a, a belief that Americans can't coach the game at a high level, and and you know part of that I think is probably that at least from the top of of the mountain you're looking at at, at coaches who have become personalities as much as they are just coaches. You know, it's Klopp and it's Guardiola and, you know, Mourinho for whatever he does. You know, those guys, even Nagelsmann, you know, as a as a young coach, it's about what he's wearing. It's about his tinkering. It's about all these other things about him that's beyond just sort of, is he a good soccer coach? If we were only talking about how much you understood about the game and your ability to motivate your players, maybe more Americans would get an opportunity. But everybody sort of views this as some sort of mystical, inaccessible knowledge that Americans can't get. It's its wild to me. It is. It's interesting.
0: It is funny, though. I mean, like, we we think of some of the static that Bob Bradley ran into coaching in the UK in the Premier League. And, you know, there's still people who, over there who talk about Brad Bobley, this, like, stereotypical, uh-huh. like, American character of a coach. And Jesse hasn't really run into that in Germany and Austria. and And I actually feel like... He's gotten some respect for potentially bringing some things. I asked Jesse about this when he was on this show of like, are there some things an American coach can bring that aren't in as big a supply mm-hmm. in Europe? And and he said, and I've heard this in a couple of places, like a, a good arrogance of like, we can put a man okay. on the moon by the end of the decade. We can do this <laughs> thing as Americans, it's kind of like what Pia Soonhago and she coached the U S called that American thing in a positive I understand. sense. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's just interesting. Instead of, instead of, we are locked,
1: locked into who we are. We actually have a chance to be more than, than Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. But Sorry. I, but I, I just also try to process that.
0: It's just interesting to me. If there's something particular about UK culture that, that just wasn't as receptive to Bob Bradley, that something about German and Austrian culture has been more receptive to jesse march
1: well i i i do think that there is this weird you know we're cousins right that's the the idea right american and 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 uk culture we're all cousins and we're all we're trading things back and forth all the time but we're always kind of looking at each other side (laughs) eye like if you do the wrong thing i'm going to come down on you or you're too weird with that we make fun of the words they use and they make fun of the food we eat or whatever it is you know the fact that everybody believes we're walking around with guns all the time that kind of stuff I do think that that leads to a jaundiced eye when it comes because again, it's still no matter how many Americans have succeeded on the field as players in England, and and honestly, it's it's a good list. It's not an it's not an incredibly long list. They still have this doubt that, or they still have that sense of this is our game, not yours. Go play your American football. We'll do this thing, and I, I'm sure that that applies to coaches too. And and in Germany, they don't have the same sort of complicated relationship with us, which is why American players are now finding so much joy in, in your, in, in Germany and why, you know, a, a kid from Texas or Alabama can go to Bayern Munich at the age of 18 and nobody kind of, nobody in Germany bats an eye about it. Cause Hey, look, we're going to give everybody an equal opportunity. If you had a, you know, there's, there's no partnership between an MLS club and, and Manchester United that leads to kids getting to Manchester United or to city or to, any Chelsea at that age with a real belief that they might be able to do something there. I, I and I think that is part of the complicated relationship that we have. And it's going to have to be Germany probably for an American. And I, <laughs> by the way, I don't think that, I don't think that just because the English have a complicated relationship and Germany is more open that the rest of Europe would be, I mean, I, I can't imagine an American coach and La Liga i mean not in a big club certainly maybe a club that gets promoted i can't imagine an american coach getting ever getting a job in italy i mean that that's that sounds crazy to me so you know there are still barriers i don't know
0: when they come down it seems like everybody wants to hire an argentine anyway so (laughs) we're winding down here with jason davis really appreciate you taking this much time to talk um I wanted to ask about something you started doing recently with The Best Soccer Show, which is sort of these deeper dives on particular topics. And you had one recently on Red Bull and soccer. And what are you wanting to do with this? Well, so, so,
1: you know, The Best Soccer Show is fun. When I do the show with Jared, we take phone calls, we crack jokes. We'll talk about whatever the topic of the day is. We have a good time with it. Occasionally we'll play a game. Uh, on that show, and it is just you know, it's not, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but there is some some actual analysis there. Uh, once a week, sort of when Jared's going about his regular life and unavailable to do a show, uh, I have some time. I want to, I kind of want to get deeper into some of these things. And what we did was, we sort of started out picking out the stories of Americans in these European clubs. We would bring somebody on who covers those teams, get a sense of how the player fits in, but uh, but more than that, maybe an education for those of us who aren't up on what's happening at Roma, for example, what the the what the program looks like at Roma. You know, where do they fit in Italy at the moment? How much are they spending? What's the uh, what, what the how are the fans feeling about the American signing or about anything that's happening? Uh, so that's that's kind of the idea. You know, we've done uh, I've done Valencia, I've done Barcelona, I've done. Uh, Dortmund, obviously, Chelsea, uh, Roma. And, and we did one on Red Bull last week uh, with... Uh, uh, Karen Tejwani was my interview guest. He wrote a book about Red Bull and their global, you know, soccer uh, uh, program, their their whole thing with New York and, and Salzburg and Leipzig and Brazil. And it was really interesting. And, you know, again, it was kind of about Tyler Adams. It was kind of about t- Caden Clark getting there in 2022. But it was also mainly about... What is Red Bull doing? Why are they doing it? How does it work? What's the what's sort of the end game there? And I don't know that we came to any hard you know, answers about those things. But I think it's it's sort of interesting to use American soccer as as a prism or as an entry point to get into some of those big, bigger world football topics, because now we can do that because Americans are playing everywhere.
0: Nice. People should definitely check that out. I want to wrap up with a pretty straightforward question. I think it's February of 2021 right now, despite having lost all sense of time over the last year, we've got five years from now. If you picture what it's going to be like in February of 2026, there's going to be a men's world cup in the United States and Canada and Mexico that year. What are you hoping to be doing? What, what's that going to be like? What, what do you imagine that is going to be like five years from right now in a World Cup year in the United States?
1: That's a good question. I haven't, am sure, I've thought about it from from a personal perspective. I mean, I'm hope I'm still working in soccer. That's pretty much as <laughs> far as we I'm gone, considering how man. dicey it's been. Yeah, and I hope that obviously more people are working in soccer and that everybody who has uh, suffered a little bit or, or a lot because of the pandemic is back working in soccer. I, I do hold that that's a I hope that that's a a foundational moment. I mean 94 certainly was, and we as much progress as we've made, obviously there's still more work to do in terms of making soccer truly Um, an American sport and it, it is but there are areas where it hasn't infiltrated yet or just the idea of kind of putting it alongside all of our other sports we have so much going on that it does make it kind of difficult um you know I I don't know I I guess I'm sure it's gonna be big I I I know it's gonna be big I I was I was 13 14 years old when 94 happened I don't remember a lot of sort of how the buzz was I was living nowhere near a world cup market at the time so it wasn't on my radar, I had sort of left soccer behind because soccer in America in the early in the late 80s, early 90s, eh, it was not the greatest. I mean, uh, if you if if you didn't uh, if you didn't st- stick with it past the age of 10, you probably weren't going to care very much for a while. I think it's going to be amazing. I hope. I, I, I mean, I, yeah, it's a good question. I really I don't know that I've I've thought too much about what it what it means after right. that because that's really what I I think is interesting is what happens after that. We know that the stadiums are going to be filled. We know it's going to be a a fun tournament no matter what the play looks like on the field, although with the expanded field, that also is kind of a part of it, too, is what does that mean for, for everything. Uh, I'm sure you know traditional media I'm sure PTI will be covering it if they're still on the air and around the horn will be taking on the topics and Skip Bayless will be saying something <laughs> crazy that's I, that's as far as I as I as I can get I think
0: I, I will say this when we get to 100 days out from World Cup 2026 I feel like I'm going to be so excited that it's probably going to be something I have to sort of like say to myself calm down dude you still got 100 days to go that's my guess yeah
1: yeah, probably something like that. Although, I mean, with with the number of games and the number of places that they're going to be taking place, and and I, I mean, look, if you if as soccer media people, I you know I'd like to get to Mexico to cover a game or two. I'd like to go to Canada. It doesn't have to just be in the United States, but it's going to be a lot of that anxiety of okay, who's paying me to cover this? How much? <laughs> how much of this tournament can I actually cover and see? That kind of stuff. I mean, I think all of those those questions will be out there for us. But but regardless, I mean. For the American soccer fan, it's going to be amazing. It really will be.
0: Jason Davis hosts a daily weekday radio show on Sirius XMFC, as well as the best soccer show with Jared Dubois. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Jason Davis, as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.